Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Sia, aka Kimchi on stage. I am a digital content creator, former sugar baby, exotic dancer person that does a lot of things on the internet and yeah I run this show I've been doing this for almost almost two years now which is really cool and I bring on cool guests every single week including this week but before we go ahead and introduce our guest of honor I actually want to say that this is going to be the season three opener (laughs) that (laughs) that I've kind of like kind of kept on the down low but I feel like oh I've just kept on recording a bunch of episodes it's time to embark on a new season so thank you so much for everyone who's been listening in for the past two seasons and all the mini COVID series and like Black Lives Matter mini series as well. So thank you for the support and I really hope to continue doing this for as long as I can because again it's a really important conversation we need to have and also to destigmatize sex work which is the whole aim of the podcast. So I have brought a cool guest to kind of kick things off and who I kind of <laughs> virtually met and I say met in quotations and I was tagged in a post that our guest this week made by one of our listeners. And I think the post that you, that Adri, who is our guest this week, was about, was like, hey, let me, like, podcasters, get me on your show. I need to talk about sex work. I need to talk about the decriminalization of it. And one of my listeners tagged me in it. And... Shout out to Victoria, by the way. And I decided to take Adri up in her offer and find out more about her. So, Adri Rose, are you there? I am. Hello. (laughs) Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me. You are so, so welcome. And I am really excited to get to know you on the show, as well as your line of work, your line of research, and how you're contributing to this community. Because... Again, you said you needed a platform, and I'm giving you a platform to speak on, so. (laughs) Yeah, um, so that thread started because there was a podcast, which I'm not going to name and give them any more press, but it was an awful podcast episode where they really conflated sex work and trafficking, which is a common problem, but they did it on a platform of anti-carceral feminism, And it really did a lot of harm and it continued a lot of really dangerous rhetoric that continues to criminalize and ostracize sex workers, which is a huge problem for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. But when I saw that, I started to thread and I said, if you don't know what you're talking about, um, as much as I hate to do things for free, I would be more than happy to come on your podcast (laughs) and explain to you why that's bad rhetoric. Right. Yeah, and I saw that, and I was like, oh, who is this person? What does this person do? And then I I, uh, I DM'd you, we exchanged contacts, I got to know a bit about you over the past month or so, and the really cool research that you're doing. So, Adri, you are a uh, former sex worker, you're also a sociology graduate student, you're also a freelance writer who writes a lot on sex work. I am really excited to get to know you, so... Please give the audience your own introduction in in terms of like what you do and who you are. Okay, awesome. First, I want to apologize. My cat is in the background having the time of her life. <laughs> she always loves this when I need it to be quiet. <laughs> um, it's all good. But yes, my name is Adri Rose. I am a former escort. I currently live in Pittsburgh. I've been here for almost four years now. I'm a sociology grad student. My research focus is how online platforms and social media sites are responding to the criminalization of sex work, especially post-SESTA-FOSTA. Mm-hmm. And I also focus on how financial institutions are responding to the SESTA-FOSTA. And then I'm also a freelance writer and a portrait and street photographer. Oh my gosh, you do so much stuff. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Oh my gosh. So let's go, if you want to dive in chronologically, 
um, I really want to get to know you and your roots in sex work. You mentioned you are a former escort. Did you want to brief the audience a little bit about your work there? Sure. So I have been in and out of sex work for about 10 years. Most recently, I stopped because I am asthmatic and the COVID pandemic really... It was a calculated risk to continue doing sex work, and it was one that I just could not take. Mm -hmm. Um, But before that, I was an escort for the bulk of my career. Um, I moved to Pittsburgh from Miami for an AmeriCorps position. And um, I don't know if anyone's ever done AmeriCorps, but it doesn't pay great. No, I was was going to say, like, can you explain a little bit (laughs) what AmeriCorps is? Because there's a lot of Canadian listeners that listen to the show as well as international listeners as well. So what does that mean? (laughs) AmeriCorps is a federally funded volunteer program that allows people to, well, It depends on which program you do. There are a lot of different programs. And honestly, AmeriCorps is a whole podcast in and of itself. But (laughs) the the program that I moved to Pittsburgh for is called Volunteers in Service to America or VISTA. And it allows people maybe with less work experience or without the uh, educational background to really get hands-on experience for anywhere from 6 to 12 months working with nonprofit organizations. Oh, wow. And... I did a lot of communications and outreach work. I did a lot of social media work for the nonprofit that I was placed at. And it's also where I got my start as a writer because I was the newsletter editor for the nonprofit that I worked at. And I actually ended up staying at that nonprofit for a year after my service term ended. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, uh, the only issue is that it doesn't really pay great. AmeriCorps Mm. Vista specifically, they pay you a stipend which Mm -hmm. is equivalent to your county's um, poverty rate. So I was making about $800 a month after taxes. Oh, my God. So, (laughs) yeah, um, I left teaching, which was great. Um, But I was a teacher in Miami, and I left because I did not like the way the district was handling some things. So Mm -hmm. I moved to Pittsburgh to be closer to family. Mm -hmm. And... When I went into Vista, it was with the mindset that nonprofit work was what I really wanted to do. And I loved my job. I loved the communities that I worked in. Mm-hmm. But I didn't love making $400 a paycheck. And yeah, <laughs> I no was kidding. working full-time with a retail manager to make ends meet, which also sucked because I wasn't sleeping and I was barely getting by. Oh my gosh. And I realized that I didn't have to keep doing that because I had other skills and I had experience in another career that Mm -hmm. paid much better and required much less work. And going back to sex work actually gave me the time to go back to school full time. That's amazing. And that's another reason why people really enjoy and choose, willfully choose to be in this industry, right? The flexibility, the the ability to pay and provide, you know, is... Yeah. Yeah. Astounding. So... One of the things that... I mean, it was definitely a privilege to be able to simply leave my job and go back to sex work full time. But one of the things that made it a lot easier is because I was working in a nonprofit and because there are so many banking institutions in Pittsburgh, it was really quite simple to find a new client base in a new city and establish myself pretty quickly because, you know, clients talk. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So I guess um, you had started then in Miami, like prior to your move to Pittsburgh? Yes. So I began my career very briefly as a dancer and quickly realized that it was not for me. Mm-hmm. House fees are not for me. Uh, um, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> the, the people skills involved in dancing and working in a club, it just was not for me. So I very quickly got over that when I was working on undergrad. I tried being a sugar baby, but it's very much like escorting mm-hmm. 24-7 with a contract. Yes. And you make so much less money as a sugar baby for all of the extra work that you're doing. Yes. So I just went into <laughs> escorting full-time. <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah. I, I hear you about, um, yeah, sugar being, sugar babying being very, very similar to escorting. But, yeah, without the business-savvy mindset, I feel, and also, as you said, 
within a mutually beneficial agreement, a- aka a contract with less perks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So then you then you forayed into escorting, and I guess never looked back until yes, the pandemic happened. So wow. yeah. Escorting was quite honestly the best choice because it allowed me to really set my own schedule, but it also paid so much well. And even outside of my regular client rotation, picking up the occasional party, because there are a lot of famous people in Miami. There are a lot of rich people in Miami. So picking up the occasional party meant I might only work two or three weekends a month, Mm -hmm. which was fantastic. Right. Was the difference between Miami and Pittsburgh really significant in terms of clients or same old, same old? Honestly, no. And I think that surprises a lot of people yeah. when I say that. But Pittsburgh is honestly a very wealthy city. Um, there are a lot of banks and a lot of Fortune 500 companies that have their headquarters in Pittsburgh, which means the travel in and out of the city is extensive there's a lot of money coming in and out of pittsburgh and there's a lot of the same clientele that i had in miami that comes in and out of pittsburgh so honestly it wasn't an issue of finding the same income it was just waiting it out Mm -hmm. while while the few clients that i did have started to talk amongst themselves right yeah i mean that's incredible too. I mean, it's it's always hard to pick up and leave and and start a new life in a new city, and then of course trying to take your clients with you is like another another challenge to overcome. So that's an incredible story. And I think you mentioned that you've been in the business now for ten years, or is it longer now? Well, I started undergrad in. 2010 and I stopped because of the pandemic in May 2020 Mm -hmm. so I would say a little less than 10 years total that's still a a good amount of time you know like extensive experience (laughs) that's incredible it It definitely is for sure Well, I guess this brings us to your time here in Pittsburgh and you getting accepted into grad school and your research and your schooling. And again, you're you're a sociology graduate and you focus on, as you said earlier, financial institutions, you know, the criminalize the criminalization of sex work, how these platforms respond to that. Why did you decide to go into this line of study? I guess because you probably had some personal experience from it, but were there any other reasons as well? Well, the honest truth is that I didn't want to study sex work when I went back to school. I was very adamant about keeping those two parts of my life separate. And I actually intended to study the rise of white supremacists and white nationalist groups, especially in Western Pennsylvania, but I was running into a lot of issues with getting funding and getting Mm -hmm. recognition and also being, as much as I love Pittsburgh, um, it's very much an urban oasis in a very rural county. Mm. And I was a little concerned that if I kept going down that path, I was going to make a target of myself. Right. So I was going to say, I, (laughs) I was writing as a freelancer about sex work anyway and so it was kind of a natural it was kind of like a natural conclusion to end up researching something that I already had so much experience with Mm -hmm. and a good part of it is also that I was working with professors extensively who did a lot of work in criminal justice and uh, police socialization so Studying criminalization was a much more natural fit anyway. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's an incredible story. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to go into all of your research. And <laughs> <laughs> um, we can definitely go into that. Just to let you know, I am a, uh, what was I? I, I studied criminology back in my undergrad. So I majored in criminology, minored in gender studies. So I feel like I loved I loved sociology. There's just so much overlap yeah. in the arts with that uh, whole department, and so many things to do with culture, racism, class. Like they all 
are intertwined. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear more about your research. So why don't we get into it? <laughs> yeah, so I remember when I was doing a bit of research um, on you, because <laughs> I like to bet everyone I bring on, I remember reading kind of a prominent statement in one of your articles that you had written, and it was something along the lines of sex workers are denied access to bank accounts, renting homes, access to her kids, getting quote-unquote real jobs, having social media, renting Airbnb, using pay-ups, and even just being safe. I think this is a huge, huge statement that is so true for so many of us sex workers. Can you elaborate on that statement a bit and then how that can transition into the topic of financial institutions. <laughs> sure. So I think one of the biggest parts of criminalization of any behavior, be it drug use, homelessness, or sex work, or even being trans or being a person of color, one of the biggest issues of criminalizing something is that you make it socially acceptable to ostracize those people. And in some cases, yes. you even make it legal to deny them basic human needs, things like housing, mm-hmm. food, healthcare. Right. So one of, on the topic of healthcare, one of the things that comes up a lot is finding a therapist, they're finding healthcare that is open and safe for sex workers. And I tell people a lot that HIPAA does not, it doesn't protect criminalized activity and so you want to be very careful about who you disclose your occupation to and a lot of times I get pushback the people will say oh well my therapist would never and I say it's not about the therapist themselves Mm -hmm. it's that if you are the target of an investigation or a vice thing you have no legal protections protecting the criminalized activity that you engage in. So if the police go to your therapist or they go to your healthcare provider and they say, do you have evidence that this person is involved in criminal activity? There's really very little recourse for them if you have disclosed to them that you engage in activity that is a felony. Oh my God. It extends even further than that in, if you are engaged in prostitution or if you're an escort, your landlord could go to prison for trafficking because they are deriving their income from that. They're deriving their income from a felony that makes them a participant in trafficking. That makes them guilty of facilitation. It's all those sorts of little things. Oh my gosh. And I was just talking about this to someone else, but even especially post SESTA FOSTA, the definition of facilitation, which is a felony it's a fancy word for saying trafficking, but it has been expanded to such an extent that giving a ride to an escort, sharing money with an escort, mm-hmm. even client referrals, which are very common among escorts, yeah. those sorts of things that really keep us safe, they are even further criminalized. And every time you engage in that behavior, you risk a felony charge. Oh my gosh. So there's so much risk here because yes. of this piece of legislation. And I think that something that's becoming more widely understood post-SESTA-FOSTA is that the legality of a particular action does not really protect you because a lot of times you get into, well, I'm porn and that's not illegal. Mm -hmm. I mean, they tried to outlaw porn a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah. uh, (laughs) The fact is that Sex work itself is criminalized. Yes, the law is very specific about prostitution. But as we see with a lot of the pushback against OnlyFans and Pornhub, um, people are conflating trafficking and sex work to such an extent that no one is safe. So when we talk about financial institutions and bank accounts, one of the issues is that banks do not want to take on the risk Mm -hmm. of getting caught up in a federal or RICO investigation. No one wants to get caught up in a trafficking investigation. And so the way that banks operate, they will simply eliminate the risk. That's how banks and all federal institutions operate. And so rather than risk getting caught up in in a trafficking investigation, 
they'll simply close your account. Yeah, yeah. Close your account, freeze your funds, ban you. <laughs> yeah, all yes. those things that are not friendly to sex workers and unfair, <laughs> like when it comes down to it. So oh, yes, absolutely. How did you even start approaching research like this? So it was kind of a personal vendetta because I didn't really have an interest in tackling financial services or financial institutions. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of inevitable when you're a sex worker that you're going to run into problems using the apps, oh, yes. be it PayPal, Cash App, um, Venmo. Circle Pay doesn't exist anymore, but right. really any of those alternative banking apps, especially the ones that give you a debit card or they function as sort of an online bank account, they they don't have all of the same restrictions that physical banks do, but they do have a lot of the same ones. And mm-hmm. so rather than risk their app being shut down, they'll simply close your account and keep your money. Oh my God. Which is awful, and it's happened to a number of friends of mine, which is heartbreaking. Yeah, I think we all know someone that has had a pay app close or has had their money taken from them. Um, I've run into issues with Cash App before where they make me confirm all of my transactions, so I use it very sparingly Mm -hmm. these days. And I think that for a lot of people... They can't get bank accounts for a number of reasons. And so apps like Cash App, PayPal, and Venmo, which provide you with a debit card, Mm -hmm. they really are the only option for storing your money. Right. As opposed to keeping it under your mattress. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Which is still a thing. So um, you said something interesting there that I kind of want to dive a bit more into. Um, Let's talk about not individuals not being able to open up a bank account. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. So there are a couple of issues that go into that. The first is that you need a physical address in order to have a bank account. Yes. For a group of people who are criminalized and maybe don't have the ability to put their name on a lease, that in and of itself is a huge barrier to entry. And I think this is a lot of where the overlap between quote-unquote legal and illegal forms of sex work come into play as a dancer, as someone who creates porn, as someone who is an escort. Your ability to prove your income to a landlord mm-hmm. is very difficult. Yes. Especially if you're not able to create your own pay stubs. And for a lot of sex workers, they're independent contractors. Yes. So they don't have regular pay stubs. They don't have proof that they make three times the rent every month. Yeah. So simply getting on a lease is a huge barrier. Yes. I know a lot of sex workers also use P.O. boxes because it's safer, mm-hmm. especially when you're getting things off of a wish list or you have clients that send things to you. Yes. You can't use a P.O. box to open a bank account. No, that's a little bit different I, and can't happen. Like, it actually physically can't happen. So. So, I, and I mean, if you're living in a shelter or if you are homeless, that's also a huge barrier. Aside from that, you need a very specific kind of photo ID in order to open a bank account. If you're undocumented or you don't have a driver's license, it's very unlikely that you have a government ID. I know a lot of people don't know that you can go to the DMV and get a state ID that is not a driver's license. Mm. I was not aware of any of this. (laughs) Or if you don't have any of those things, passports are expensive. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) The last time I renewed mine, I think I paid $175 for it. And Mm -hmm. I haven't used it because I have a driver's license. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But all those sorts of things make it very difficult to open a bank account. Mm -hmm. But I think the most difficult part of opening a bank account is 
getting to a bank to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some banks will allow you to open an account online, but you have to know your social security number, which a lot of people do not. And you also have to have physical proof of your address, be that a utility bill or a lease or something like that. And you have to be able to send that into the bank in order to verify your identity. If you don't have those sorts of things, you have to go into a physical bank location. Mm -hmm. The issue with that is that banks are fleeing low and moderate income neighborhoods. Right. Yeah. They're usually found in like cities or like like city centers. The physical bank locations, they simply don't exist the same way that they used to. Mm Mm-hmm. And so at least they don't in neighborhoods that are predominantly black and brown and non-white. Right. So so I would say being able to walk into a bank is becoming increasingly difficult, even if you don't, even if you can get past all of the other issues, like being forced to prove your identity, simply walking into a bank is very difficult. Between 2014 and 2018, banks across the country have closed 2,000 more physical locations than they've opened in low and moderate income neighborhoods. And I live in Pittsburgh, which is in Allegheny County. A couple of years ago, I created a map of all of the bank locations in, of all of the physical bank locations in Allegheny County. Mm -hmm. And the greatest proportion of them are in downtown Pittsburgh, but oh less gosh. than a third of the county's population lives within the city or lives within that particular area. In the vicinity, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and the hugest – or wow, that's not a word. The largest uh, low- and moderate-income neighborhoods in Allegheny County are outside of the city of Pittsburgh itself. So if you don't have a car, it's very difficult to get to a physical bank location. Right. I never even thought about these barriers at all and how it affects and you know, so many communities. And a lot of people don't. Yeah, no, I think it's great because, like, I feel bad for even not not counting people in those disenfranchised communities. Like, we tend to forget about well, them. And I think one of the... I think one of the contributing factors to that is that it's very rare. I say rare. These are relative terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so something like 7 million U.S. households have absolutely no financial or have absolutely no access to financial institutions. So wow. relatively speaking, it's quite rare for someone to have no access to a bank account. However, Mm-hmm. 21 million U.S. households, that's more than 15% of U.S. households, are underbanked, which means they may have a checking or savings account that holds a minimum balance, mm-hmm. but they still use payday loan shops or pawn shops more mm-hmm. than once a year. Wow. And so 14% of U.S. households making less than $40,000 a year are unbanked they have no access to a physical bank location however 52 percent of people with no bank account or uh, or households that use uh, payday loans and pawn shops Mm -hmm. they don't have enough money to keep a minimum balance in their account oh my gosh Wow. So simply having a bank account is costing them money because they're paying these ridiculous fees to do so. Yeah, and to keep them open. Oh, my gosh. This is a topic I've never talked about on the show before. This is completely (laughs) astounding. I am just, like, flabbergasted at the moment and also appalled, too. I just I I feel awful. And that's a huge statistic, too. I think it's one of those things that you don't really think about because it doesn't affect most people. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it, this is relatively speaking, but only 7 million households have absolutely no access to a financial institution of any kind. Wow. But which that's still 7 million people. It's not really that many people. 
Yeah. Well, but... 7 million households, not oh, 7 sorry. million people. Gotcha. Thank but... you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if it's not your household, it's not something that you're going to think about. Mm-hmm. This is true. Because most people have access to, they may not have their own debit or credit card, but they have access to a debit or credit card. They have access to some kind of financial institution, mm-hmm. be it a physical bank or be it one of the apps or something like that. But if right. you're in an undocumented household or if you are a sex worker who's had a bank account or a pay app close, or if you're someone that's afraid of opening a bank account because you don't want your wages garnished, mm-hmm. suddenly it becomes a very real problem. Totally. Thank you so much for shedding light to this topic and something that, again, I've never covered on the show before. So even if it's something that I'm not thinking about, I mean, it's it just shows my privilege. And I'm just really glad that you're able to talk about this and that there's research going to this to this really much needed subject. So thank you. Yes. <laughs> there's so much to talk about in terms of that but I also want to talk um on pay apps because they're also really quite prevalent especially in their line of work (laughs) and also very very popular to use as well so gosh I mean we we mentioned it but earlier in the show as well but we were talking about like online payment methods and pay apps you know they make it really near impossible for sex workers to accept payments so as you said earlier, like stuff like um, payment services like PayPal, flagging your account, freezing accounts, permanently banning accounts. Like these are all very, very real things that happen to sex workers. And as you said too earlier, we all know someone that this has personally happened to. So if it hasn't already happened to yourself. So I wanted to speak about like different types of cash, uh, sorry, cash apps, pay apps, cash app being one of them. <laughs> and there's just, there's just so many. I, I, I don't know if you want to go ahead and um, elaborate a little bit about what pay apps are, how they're used, and especially in, ter- in terms of sex work. Sure. So I think the broadest way of discussing pay apps, and I'm going to include uh, cryptocurrency in that yes. because it's becoming more, more popular. popular with sex workers. Yeah. But um, I think the broadest way of discussing it is financial tech or fintech. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of different definitions, but in the simplest sense, it's any technology that seeks to improve and automate the delivery and use of financial services. So, uh, it, like I said, things like Bitcoin and Ethereum are included in that, as well as PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, yes. Zelly, Circle Pay, which doesn't exist anymore. Yes. <laughs> um, Google Pay, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, and even international apps like Alipay. Yeah. Um, all, of, all of that falls under the umbrella of fintech. Right. And a lot of these apps, namely PayPal, um, Venmo, which is an offshoot of PayPal and yes. Cash App, they... And, I guess Google Pay and Apple Pay now because they use virtual debit cards. Mm -hmm. So anything that allows you to store money really is functioning as sort of a virtual bank account. Right. But for a lot of people, it's better than a virtual bank account because they don't require sort of the same methods of verifying your identity. So... Mm. Years ago, when I was using or when I first set up some of my pay apps, it was much less arduous to verify your identity and get started with an account. Now, that may have Mm -hmm. changed. I haven't had to set up a new account in years. Yeah. But it's very popular with sex workers for that reason, but also because it gives you anonymity. So with Cash App, with Venmo, with CirclePay, with Bitcoin, you can put in whatever name you want mm-hmm. as a display name. Right. Now, you may have to use your legal name to set up the account, but your clients, your customers are not seeing that. Right. Which is what makes it so popular. The issue comes when you want to cash out because yes. you have to link a bank account or a debit card to the account in order to cash out. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a bank account, your only option is to order a debit card through the app 
cards. I know that Venmo, PayPal, and Cash App allow you to order debit cards, mm-hmm. and Venmo and PayPal allow you to order credit cards if your credit score is high enough and you have a really right. good rapport with the app itself. Right. Um, that issue, or the issue with that is that these apps are not FDIC insured. So Okay, what do you mean by FDIC? Uh, so the FDIC is an institution that protects uh, consumers and their the money that's in their bank accounts. Mm-hmm. So say you have a bank account with PNC. Okay. If a PNC, if the PNC that you use gets robbed, the money that is in your account up to $250,000 is insured and that's federally insured. Okay. So you don't lose any money if your bank is robbed. Okay. However, if you're using one of these apps like PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo, if they close your account and they keep your money, you have no legal recourse. It's their money. Oh, my God. When, uh, and I tell people all of the time, cash out immediately. And people yeah. are always like, but the fees are so high. Eat the fees. Yeah. Because if they take all of your money, you have you have no options. Yeah. You can't do anything about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that is awful when that happens. <laughs> oh, it is. I I have so many people that I see are distressed because their pay apps get closed. Mm-hmm. However, they don't really have an option because if you don't have a bank account and you're using a debit card from Venmo or Cash App, mm-hmm. that is your bank account. That's all of your money. Yes. So if you're paying your rent through one of those, now you've lost your rent money and you have no repercussion. If you're using many bids or you're using OnlyFans and they close your account before your, uh, your payment was processed, before you got paid out, there's nothing you can do about it because it was never really your money until it ended up in your bank account. Exactly. Exactly. And that's really, really sound advice too. And I've said it before on the podcast, I think once or twice on a couple of the episodes, but yeah, it's very, very wise to cash out immediately. As you said, make that money yours, get that into your bank account. That is something you have to do because you never know what's going to happen to your account. You just don't. Unfortunately, there's there's no security, especially when you're using those um, specific type of fintech options. Who knows? They all hate sex workers, so <laughs> they do. Like, if you ever had the time to like try to uh, read any of their ever changing policies, they always say something they're like, all, "They're all similar." They're all very clear. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like stuff like not using X service and activities relating to transactions involving sexually oriented materials or services, adult <laughs> entertainment products or services, adult related services, including escorting, adult massage or adult entertainment. And the list goes on and on. But like the, the lingo and the language used is very, very similar. Yes. And a lot of these apps and even sites like OnlyFans, they're very explicit in restricting or even prohibiting the kinds of content and the kinds of income that you can generate from their services. And as long as you, you know, keep your head down, you shouldn't run into problems. But a lot of times these apps and these sites do random sweeps. And so you could have never had a content violation in your entire history but you might get caught up in an audit and then there's mm-hmm. nothing that you can do about it. Yeah, unfortunately, as you said. Um, did you want to speak a little bit about the rise in cryptocurrency a little bit? Sure. I have used crypto before. I don't particularly like it because it's very volatile. Um, mm-hmm. The price of cryptocurrency changes from moment to moment. And so you may have gotten paid a thousand dollars from a client, but by the time you cash out, it might only be worth eight hundred. I'm not a fan of crypto. I think a lot of people like using it again because it's anonymous. Mm-hmm. I think the largest issue for me with crypto is that in order to cash out, you have to have a, again. You have to have a bank, bank account. account. If yes. you don't have a bank account, your crypto sits in your wallet, and you have no way of knowing 
what the price is going to be. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, you can't really use crypto as cash right? unless you have access to a crypto ATM. And as much as people talk about it online, we're simply not there with online currency yet. Yeah, not so, quite there yet. Yeah. I, I, I believe that it's coming. I believe that, you know, the crypto revolution is well underway, but we're simply not at a place where there's a crypto ATM on every street corner yes. in every bodega. And so for <laughs> me, if I earned $1,000, I want my $1,000. Yeah, you want the full amount, not not a portion of it. <laughs> right. I'm with you on that one. But I mean, even, as, even if you do find a retailer that accepts crypto, I there are a lot of issues with it because it's anonymous and there's little to no regulation. You mm-hmm. look at Tesla, which started accepting payments mm-hmm. in a cryptocurrency. More than one person has complained that the money was taken from their wallet, but the transaction never cleared. Ooh. And because crypto is completely anonymous, there's no way of tracking the transaction. Right. So it's not like you can dispute it and demand your money back. Yeah, so still lots of kinks to work out in crypto. But I mean, do your do your research, educate yourself on it, um, kind of watch that space. Cause I, as you said, I, I believe it's going to go somewhere. I just I personally just don't know a lot of information behind it. I don't trust it <laughs> yet. So I haven't parked my money there yet. So but again, it's something that like, I think a lot more sex workers are, are moving towards. So are you aware of crowdsourcing, crowdsourcing services? that are also non-sex worker friendly as well in the same lines as as pay apps yes all of them (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean this is still kind Um, of related too so if you want to go into that you can sure um i any financial service is going to be hostile to sex workers simply because of the way that federal law works if you as a customer or as a user of a platform or an institution are caught up in a federal investigation, you bring that scrutiny to the platform or to the bank, Mm -hmm. and they will simply cut their losses and disassociate from you entirely. Having said that, we live in a society that runs on money. That's how capitalism works. So. It's not realistic to say, don't use the platforms, don't use the institutions. Um, <laughs> as much as as much as people can give advice and say, use the platform responsibly, um, be safe about it. Even mm-hmm. using crowdfunding apps, if you know you're caught up in an investigation or if an algorithm catches other online activity that relates to sex work there's a very real chance that your money will be taken from you the only consistent advice that i can give whether you're using gofundme or you're using paypal Mm -hmm. is to cash out frequently and to cash out every time you get money right yeah definitely definitely sound advice and i 100 percent agree with you on that for (laughs) sure (laughs) um what, what has been, like, your own experience with pay apps? Except for issues with Cash App. For a while, Cash App made me verify every transaction that I got. And so I simply oh, stopped wow. using it for a mm-hmm. while because large reoccurring transactions tend to flag um, algorithms. Yes. Um, and they tend to mark your account as engaged in suspicious activity Mm -hmm. so for about six months i just didn't use cash app and whatever flag was on my account appears to have been lifted however those flags don't really disappear from your account so i simply use cash app frequently i see um i'm very lucky paypal is absolutely terrible for sex workers for a number of reasons but PayPal is also really prone to fraud. Mm. If you have a PayPal business account and someone issues a chargeback through it, there's really nothing that you can do except never use the app again and 
remove all of your bank account and debit card information from it because they will simply take money out of your accounts. Yeah, I've um, had so many people move away from that that service just because I've had so many problems with it. So yeah, yeah, I don't recommend using PayPal even as a quote unquote legitimate business owner. Mm. If you are in any way associated with sex work. Now, I've been incredibly lucky in that as an escort, I have quite a few names. So <laughs> the name that I use on PayPal is not really associated with sex work in any way mm-hmm. other than as a writer. But I simply recommend that people, if you're engaged in sex work, that you don't use PayPal if mm-hmm. you can help it. Even Venmo is a little iffy because it's owned by the same company as PayPal. Yes. I I, I recommend things like Apple Pay. Mm-hmm. If you have a burner phone, Apple Pay or Google Pay or Samsung Pay, mm-hmm. use your burner phone and use that phone number and just have people send money to you that way. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's a good tip. If you have Google Pay, I recommend using that instead and cashing out frequently. Um, Cash App is, I mean, it's the standard at this point. Everyone uses Cash App if they still have their account. Mm -hmm. But since Cash App got rid of automatic payouts, you have Mm -hmm. to be very on top of it. Anytime you get money through the app, you need to cash out immediately. But if you're using Cash App as a bank account, that becomes very iffy as well. And so to that, I say, if you are able to open a physical bank or if you're able to open a traditional bank account, Mm -hmm. I recommend doing it and opening a personal account because they're under much less scrutiny than business accounts are. So if you're going to get paid for sex work using an app, I recommend putting all of your money related to sex work into that specific app Mm -hmm. and then cashing out or going to an or using the debit card and going to an ATM and pulling out cash mm-hmm. and then depositing it into your personal bank account on a regular basis so that oh. it looks like you're simply getting paid. Interesting. That's a different that's a nice little workaround. Never thought about that way. Mm-hmm. Great. Please. I, I it's a lot of extra work, mm-hmm. but it it gives you a little more protection as a personal bank account holder but it also makes it sometimes it can make it easier to get things like a lease or right to establish um to establish a financial history if you're trying to get utilities in your name or something like that because consistent reoccurring deposits into your account is better Mm -hmm. than a ten thousand dollar deposit here a 200 deposit there I definitely agree with that. Like once you see that consistency and that trend in your account, like even if you're buying a house, you know, Mm -hmm. your mortgage broker is going to want to see that. They want to see that this is regular payment, not just a one-time drop. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely um, really important to kind of have those, set up those parameters to set you up for success. Um, Yes. And I mean, if there's one piece of advice that I can give, it's get a personal bank account. Don't do a business bank account. There you go. <laughs> do you have any other advice as well? I mean, like another thing I could think about too, if, if you are using non-sex worker friendly fintech um, options, I would say like if you're using a PayPal, then ensure like make sure that they're writing it as a gift they're not writing anything that has to do with sex work on it. Be really specific and purposeful about what those funds are about. So yes. you won't have so, any questions asked. <laughs> all of the apps audit the notes that are on payments. Like I said, personal bank account, but also personal accounts on any of these apps. If you're using PayPal, don't set up a business account. Mm -hmm. If you're using Cash App or Venmo, don't set up a business account. Set it up as a personal account so that when you get money, you you always have a little bit of protection and being able to say that it's a gift. It's not Mm -hmm. payment for services rendered. Now, I use PayPal as a business owner because I'm a freelancer and I file Schedule Cs. 
that is the only thing I have in my name that relates to business. Every other account that I have is strictly personal because I don't ever want to get audited and <laughs> to explain where my money is coming yeah, from. Yeah, no one wants to answer that <laughs> or be faced with that kind of conversation. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) These are all great, great, great advice, great tips, especially if if you're new to sex work and you're listening. Uh, I really hope that you've been paying attention. So these are all great tips from veteran sex worker Adri Rose. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you. There are just a few questions that came in, which I think it's time for the Q&A section. So let's get into it. And you kind of talked about this earlier two and i don't think there's many many options but what can you do if your funds have been frozen oh goodness um yeah you can i think a lot of people default to going the legal route and honestly it's not going to do much because a lot of these apps have no obligation to return the money to you because it wasn't yours in the first place. Mm. Um, I think if you go to the hacking hustling website, there is a form letter that you can use to appeal um, account closure. Or if your account is freezed, I recommend that as a first resource. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I know that the default is to rage about it. But unfortunately, being polite and being kind and trying to be understanding is going to go a lot further in Mm -hmm. appealing than being angry about it will. And that's not fair. And it sucks because it's your money. You earned it. Yeah. But the person on the other side of the screen is not the person that made the decision. I promise you. (laughs) All they can do is appeal on your behalf. Yes, 100%. What are the best payment methods for sex workers, in your opinion? Well, I'm going to contradict myself here, but (laughs) if you have access to a bank account, the best option is crypto. Mm, There we go. Because it's completely anonymous, Mm -hmm. and you can cash out in increments. So if you get paid $1,200... You can cash out $300 a week Mm. as opposed to cashing out $1,200 all at one time. And so if you know that you're consistently making enough to cash out $300 every week, you can do it that way much easier through crypto. If you don't have access to a bank account, Mm. Cash App or Venmo is your best option because they function as bank accounts. They give you a routing and a check and a, an account number. Mm-hmm. And you can also apply for a debit card that allows you to pull your money out of an ATM. Right. Great, great options there too. <laughs> and again, like our, our resources are, are limited when it comes to payment methods. So even though you're contradicting yourself, it's just what's available out there. Unfortunately, I mean, there are tons of like different kind of fintech um, options out there. But as I said earlier, like they all have very, very similar terms and conditions, terms and services that mm-hmm. specifically outline you are not to be using this service for sex work. So just mm-hmm. tread lightly, use with caution, <laughs> you know. And if there is one thing that I find is most consistent when people get their accounts closed or frozen, it's that people are putting emojis and ridiculous notes in Mm -hmm. with the payment. Oh my gosh. Do not, do not send joke notes to people. It doesn't matter how close you are to them or what kind of relationship you have with them. If you put four cocaine in the note, I promise you it got flagged. Ooh, cringe. <laughs> or if you put if you put a peach or an eggplant emoji yeah. in the note, I promise you it got flagged. flagged. 100% with the emojis. Oh, gosh. Uh. 
It's silly. <laughs> it's silly to think like that. But like, honestly, you just have to protect yourself at the end of the day and protect your money because it's what you've earned, yes. right? <laughs> and I mean, if you have to put a note in with a payment, I don't know if any apps that require it, but if you have to put in a note for whatever reason, make it as vague and as quote unquote official as possible. Mm-hmm. So you can say for a commission mm-hmm. or you can say for an order. Yeah. You don't have to be explicit. Very, very general. We'll, we'll keep you safer. Keep your money safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this person also asks, what about wish lists? What wish list sites are safe? I don't know that there are any that are safer than others. I can say that Gift Rocket is absolutely the worst. Um, <laughs> they will close your account oh, and they'll no. do it without an explanation and they won't respond to your appeals. Oh, no. But Oh, gosh. If you're using an Amazon wish list, I don't think it's a terrible thing, especially because you can link to other sites. I mm-hmm. mean, you can if you have a website, you can create a page an unlinked or um, hidden page on your website that requires a direct link. And you can just add URLs to it if that's what you want to do. Right. And you're not really sure about any of the wish list services. I know people that do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I personally use Amazon wish list still. And I know I've heard um, on some accounts that Amazon isn't the friendliest either on many, many different levels, not just for sex work. <laughs> Um, which we won't go into on this episode today, but I've been using that since like my sugar baby days, like back in like 2013 and have had like no problems at all with that. Personally speaking, just make sure you put that third party or, um, third party option on there so they don't see your address and your real name. So, and I guess the last question is what do you plan to do after you graduate from your program? Um, I really, (laughs) truly do not know. I (laughs) considered going back to teaching. Um, Mm. I considered a PhD program. I am one of those people that is kind of obnoxiously anti-capitalism, and I refuse to dream of labor. (laughs) So (laughs) I honestly don't know. I don't have any plans for post-graduation. Right now, I'm really enjoying working as a writer and as a photographer, And the hope is that once I have more free time, I'll be able to do those things full time and focus on them exclusively. Um, But doing things like this podcast and moderating panels and those sorts of things, they pay pretty well. And um, I get a lot of joy out of helping people navigate this ridiculous system that we live in. So who knows fingers crossed like what when are you set to complete your program Um, i have two years left oh okay okay you had some time that's exciting though i will we wish you all the best on graduating and your program and everything i'm curious to hear what their thesis is going to be so (laughs) i'd love to take a read Well, Adri, it was so incredible to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge on this topic of finance, fintech, payups. Like there's so much here, even just going back to um, the simple, what I deem as simple, even as starting as a, a bank account as a sex worker, especially like in disenfranchised communities. So thank you for bringing these topics to light. I really appreciate you researching this topic and I can't wait to hear more but before I let you go where can we find you um yes so I am at Adri Rising that's A-D-R-I-E-R-I-S-I-N-G on both Twitter and Instagram those are the only platforms that I have uh, my website is adrirose.link mm-hmm. um, you can find my portfolio both writing and photography on there. And if you're in the Pittsburgh area, you can hire me to come take your pictures. Um, <laughs> yes. Most of the writing ends up on either Twitter or my website. Awesome. 
Great. Well, I will definitely be plugging in all of those links in the show notes below. So thank you so, so much. And don't forget, it's Strip by Sia on Instagram, as well as my personal Instagram, Sia Steph. It's new episodes every single Sunday. And I will be bringing on a new guest every single week. And yeah, let's here it is for season three. Um, Adri, so much. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. And don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe. Maybe write me a review on Apple Podcasts. And we'll catch you guys in for another episode next week. Bye. You're listening to Strip by Sia. Hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia. Artwork by Maria Bellandorama. Music by Ted D. And photography by Ian Dabern. Thank <laughs> you.